Welcome to the Torah Journey Podcast. My name is Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and I've been a community rabbi for over 15 years. During that time, I've learned that the wisdom of Judaism is powerful, but it's not always easy to understand. Our weekly podcast will enrich your journey and give you practical advice about how to apply the wisdom of Judaism to your life. We'll offer you insights based on the Parsha, current events, the Jewish year, and more. This is the Torah Journey Podcast. Hey there, it's great to be with you today. I was thinking to myself that there is a practice these days known as unfriending, obviously part of social media. You know, you've got a friend on Facebook, and for some reason you unfollow them or unfriend them. And so the, t- the term has a limited meaning, but it also has a broader implication, especially in our society where friendships can seem disposable. And with societal divisions between left and right, there's been a lot of friendships and familial relationships that have soured. Personally, I have varied views of, of different issues, and it's interesting, the other day I liked a post, on, a post on Facebook that was written by a person of a, a certain political perspective, and I didn't sign up for all their beliefs, but I found this one post to be valuable, and I was later criticized on Facebook by a friend for doing this. You agree with this person, they asked me? Now, on the other hand, many people today obviously realize that friendships and love can be maintained even with, di- with differences. The Wall Street Journal recently ran an article about families who are divided politically but manage to stay together, and it really is possible. And as we consider this, we get into the question of our real-life friendships, and whether it's due to politics or religion or, or just life conflict, there are times, obviously, that our friendships can be strained and difficult. And if a friendship is deeply strained, I think the question is, what do we do? Should we be prone to unfriend people? And this question about friendship really is at the heart of Safer Bracious. And in one scenario after another, we have two people, brothers, who are very close, but then they get on separate paths. And it really starts with Cain and Hevel, the very first brothers, whose relationship, after all, ends in murder. And in recent weeks, we read about Yitzchak, and Yishmael as brothers with diverging paths. And now we get to the generation of Yaakov and Esav. Yaakov eventually builds the Jewish society, the Jewish people. Esav, of course, is the father of Edom, each of these cultures having very different values and paths. And the brotherhood theme continues with a new twist in the life of Yosef and the brothers. All of the 12 tribes eventually remain part of the Jewish people, and yet their lives diverge in a sense, since it's marked by a lot of rift and division. And as we study Tanakh, it's really a recurring theme. You have Yosef and Yehuda, the northern tribes and the southern tribes. It's really a civil war that just persists throughout Tanakh. And from the book of Yehoshua through Shmuel, Malachim, Yirmiyahu, there's just this underlying tension that's always there. Sometimes it leads to all-out war. And what we can surmise is that strife between brothers is at the heart of our tradition. So this idea of brothers separating crystallizes, I believe, in Toldos with the birth of the two twins, Yaakov and Esau. And here we've got two boys who grow in the same womb. They are raised in the same home, the same parents. One of these boys becomes the father of the Jewish people, and the other becomes the father of Edom, which our rabbis identify with Roman Western civilization. And even when she was pregnant, Rivka sensed that these two fetuses were running in opposite directions. The boys agitated within her to the point that she wondered why she wanted to be pregnant to begin with. And Rivka received the prophecy stating that the two boys were at odds and that might would pass from one boy to the next. If one rises, the other falls. 
Now, why is it that this future was predetermined? I mean, it seems almost like the Torah is setting things up for failure. Couldn't the Torah conceive of a scenario where the different boys will separate from, from the womb and drive together towards the same goals and unite? Why couldn't that happen? I mean, sibling rivalry is a reality, but couldn't they have perhaps gone in a more harmonious direction together? Let's take a look at these twins. They didn't look very much alike. Esav was hairy and ruddy, and Yaakov was a smooth man. Our rabbis point, though, to similarities between them, because Rivka is told, Shnei goyim bevitnech, there are two nations in your womb. And Rashi indicates that the phrase Shnei goyim implies that they are similar. They are each called goyim, nation, in their own right. And Rashi adds geim kasiv. The term goyim, nations, is actually written with two yud, two yuds, as if to say geim, proud ones, instead of goyim, nations. And so each of these future nations had an inner pride, and Rashi elaborates. He says, this refers to Rebbe and Antoninus, two figures, both of whom had tables adorned with delicacies all year round. In other words, in the Torah writes that there are Shnei Goyim, there's two nations. It means that both of these boys are Goyim or Geim proud ones. These are two proud people and are represented by two figures, Rashi says, who lived around the time of the destruction of the temple in the first and second century. Rebbe was a prince amongst the Jewish people. And Antoninus, who, by the way, Rebbe personally knew, was a Roman leader. And both of these men were dignified and noble. The Torah, for its part, simply writes that there were two nations. So how does the Torah see in this simple phrase a reference to historical figures who lived so many years later? And the Maharal of Prague explains that Rashi, by referring to Rebbe and Antoninus, is really offering two prototypes of what these future nations are going to be. Rebbe and Antoninus are examples of these two peoples. Like their ancestors, Yaakov and Esav, they were two people similar in a number of ways. Both Rebbe and Antoninus were proud leaders who conducted themselves with dignity. And yet, says the Maharal, there's a critical difference. The purpose of the dignity that they expressed. Now, Rome did many great things. They built roads and bridges and bathhouses. They conducted themselves with nobility, at least in their dress and in their delicacies. And the purpose of all of this was what? The purpose was their own material benefit. Now, Rebbe and the Jews were also dignified. Rebbe was a wealthy man. He conducted himself like a prince. But what was the purpose? What was his underlying goal? At the end of his life, Rebbe declared that he never derived pleasure from this world for his own personal gain. His underlying purpose and his goal in everything that he did was to walk in the path of Hashem to know God. And so there were these two goyim or geim, two individuals who had... <clears throat> an inner sense of dignity. But where they took that inner sense was not the same place. Now, two people can be born in similar circumstances. They might live in the same time and be raised in the same society. Maybe they have similar strengths. But what's the underlying goal? What's the underlying values that drive them? If the values are different, then two people in the long run may verge very far apart. And as the Torah testifies, the societies of Esau and Yaakov, the societies that they built, were as different as day and night. 
One is the small Jewish society whose mission is spreading the name of God, and the other is a militaristic society, secular by comparison. <clears throat> Sometimes we can be with other people, and we might feel and think for a while that we're similar, maybe we grew up together, maybe we run in the same circles, <clears throat> and yet underneath there's something that's very different. And that difference might spell a point of departure where two people separate in mutually exclusive paths. And you can kind of think of it like a crossroads. And these are times where there's going to be a divergence that comes about between these people, much like Esau and Yaakov, as Rivka received in her prophecy about the boys. And sometimes in a friendship or in a group of friends, you can feel yourself at a point of divergence. I remember when I was 16 years old, some of my non-Jewish friends invited me to a Christmas party. And I figured, look, my friends are going to hang out, so I might as well join them. I went to the party. And soon it turned out that these friends wanted to go Christmas caroling. And suddenly I felt, oh my goodness, we have such irreconcilable differences. And I realized in that moment that our paths had to diverge. And so I, I made up an excuse. I went home and Lying in bed that night, I thought about how different I was from my friends. And as uncomfortable as that was, it was a moment of self-discovery. Several years ago, I was speaking with a congregant about why they chose to become part of our shul here in Portland. And this person was telling me that in the previous congregation, no one really talked about Hashem. They didn't talk about God. And it became a symbol in their mind about how different they were in that community. And sometimes we're with a group of people, and you realize that you're meant somehow to find a different society or different friends that better support your values. What should we do when we are at such a crossroads with a friend? I believe that Safer Bracious pre presents us with a number of options of what can happen when friends or brothers are on diverging paths. And the truth is that our Parsha is kind of extreme, because in the case of Yaakov and Esau, it seems that they had fundamentally different values that put them on a path of separation to the point they found the different nations. And we may find at times with friends that we're on such a fundamentally different path, we cannot hold together. But then there's another extreme, like the story of Yosef and the brothers. And, and there, even though the relationship was so fraught and so problematic, fundamentally they stayed together. They, they founded the Jewish people together. How so? The, I mean, there was a deep rift, and the brothers sold Yosef off into slavery. And even still, Yosef told his brothers, don't feel guilty, we need to remain unified, he told them. And even though they had their differences, they were all on the path of serving God in their own ways. And so that's really a reflection of the idea of the Jewish people. We're truly one people. And we need to find ways to connect even when it is hard. We need to remain friends with our fellow Jews. But what do we do when we have a, a friend, a Jewish friend in particular, that it's difficult with? And I think that Safer Bracious sort of suggests a middle ground whereby we can come to a certain harmony. And in the story of Avram and Lot, we find that the two men could not remain together, and yet you, you, if you look, you'll see that they didn't totally separate either. And the Torah says, Avram said to Lot, Let there not be discord between you and between me, between my shepherds and your shepherds, 
Ki anashim achim anachnu, because we are brothers. Is not, the whole, is not the whole land before you? He asked him, please separate from me. If you go left, then I will go right. And if you go right, then I will go left. And so there was a tension and there was a need for a break. And yet there was still a recognition that they remained brothers. And of course, when Lot's captured, Avraham helped him. The Torah marks that he heard that his brother had been captured. And so there's a time when there can be discord. And yet, even though you find a way to separate, you're still remaining together. And perhaps the story of, um, uh, of Avram and Lot can be a guide to show us that in moments of, of tension, we might be able to find a, a kind of separation, but still fundamentally remain together in a covenant. There's no way that Avram would have fought for Lot after they separated unless they felt on some level that they're still together. And even where you might need some separation because there's tension in your personal life for someone, you can still see yourself as brothers and friends, and you can still find small ways to show your love and to support that person, just like Avram showed his incredible love for Lot in Lot's time of need. When it came to Esav and Yaakov, they truly were on diverging paths. And look, you might find that at times with a friend, but on the other hand, with our fellow Jew, we also need to recognize that just because we're different doesn't mean we can't remain together on some level even when we might not be the best level of friends. Kol Yisrael aravim zebezeh. All of the Jewish people are responsible for one another. We should not view unfriending lightly, at least not outside of social media. When we have a friend, especially a fellow Jew, we need to explore all options, as Avraham did with Lot. And so the next time you've got a tension with a friend, remember Avraham and Lot you might not need to separate as far as Yaakov and Esav. Even if you might need to have some degree of separation, you can still find ways to show love, still find ways to show support. Even after Avram and Lot found their own separate plots of land because they needed that, Avram knew that they were connected. And he remembered the very thing that he told Lot on the day that Lot's, of Lot's departure. Anashim Achim Anachnu, we cannot remain in a fight, for we are brothers.